You're listening to the Celestial Citizen Podcast, and I'm your host, Britt Duffy Adkins. Celestial Citizen is a platform for promoting a more equitable and just vision of planetary settlement beyond Earth. This podcast seeks to provide an opportunity for conversation about how to be a better interplanetary citizen and responsible steward of Earth and the cosmos. By engaging the global public, providing greater access to the space industry, and amplifying a more diverse set of voices, progress in space can equate to progress on Earth. We who are bursting with stardust can become celestial citizens. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Damar Matthews. A lot of Black kids don't know about space. I didn't have no friends saying they wanted to be an astronaut, just like I didn't have friends who said they wanted to be architect. So I think that putting programs around things like space and putting them in predominantly black and brown communities are really important. We'll discuss the unique identity of the black architectural aesthetic, how to engage communities in the planning process such that they are better represented in their built environment and also how this important work on Earth can better inform how we design and build future structures and cities in space someday. I think that it's kind of a privilege to dream freely. You know, I feel like I've always was limiting myself in terms of what I could do because I'm looking for paths. But if I can't see a path to where I want to go, then it doesn't seem realistic. My guest on the show, Damar Matthews, is a Los Angeles-based architectural designer, theorist, and writer. Damar is the founder and principal of Off Top Design. He also works with A&D Architecture and the Design Museum in Los Angeles as a curator and exhibitions associate. Damar received his bachelor's from HBCU Lincoln University of Pennsylvania and his Master's of Architecture at Woodbury University, where he was awarded the Graduate Thesis Prize for his project, Black Architecture, Unearthing the Black Aesthetic. Damar believes architecture and good design should not only be for the privileged, and that every community deserves to be proud of the built environment around them, and that this environment should be based on the cultures of the people who live there, regardless of income, race, and gender. And I'm so excited to have you joining Celestial Citizen Podcast today. Thanks so much for being here, Damar. Hey, Britt. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak with you. Yeah, yeah, me as well. All right. So, Damar, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from and how did you become interested in the field of architecture? So, I'm from Moreno Valley, California, so not very far out of LA in an empire. I really didn't know about architecture as a profession really until a year after my undergrad after graduating. Now, I was always doing different creative things, whether that's making clothes or painting, some sort of art. Or, you know, in college, I was building my own beds and trying to build my own desk and things like that. But after working in the medical field for like two years after graduating, I just hated it. And I just was looking for something that I could continue to kind of be creative in and 
figure out how to make money in it. And also, you know, kind of be a bit entrepreneurial instead of always looking for a paycheck. So I took some time and was just researching and meditating and looking at different options for something that I could see myself doing for my whole life. And I found this TED Talk on architecture, really. And it was this guy who was a doctor, and he took this trip to Africa and ended up building this really culturally competent hospital. And I was just so amazed by his path. And here I was, you know, it was the first time I was comfortable in financially in my life. And I just kind of had to still do an about face and just figure out what I wanted to do. And then applied to Woodbury with a real janky portfolio and they still, you know, allowed me in. And that's kind of where I was introduced to architecture formally. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. I didn't realize that you worked in a different profession before going into architecture, but that's super interesting. And it's amazing how like one TED Talk can really change your life and (laughs) and kind of get you rolling down a totally different path. And, you know, I, I was drawn to buildings already. I just wasn't aware. But ever since I had a license at 16, I'm in downtown LA and I'm just driving around, not getting out of the car a lot of times. And I didn't know why or when I was in Pennsylvania for undergrad, I was driving to Philly all the time, not getting out of the car. I'm just driving around. I didn't understand that it was the buildings that I was looking for. And yes, a bit of a career change. In a recent interview with the Los Angeles Times, you had talked about capital A architecture and that its pedagogy was drawn largely from Western Europe, which is not only mostly white, but it has often actively erased the black presence. So in your opinion, what do we need to do to prevent this loss of heritage from continuing to happen? I think that black Americans need a damp in the built environment and we need a seat at that table. Really, it's 2021, and this case study can possibly be the first purely Black architectural aesthetic in the built environment, to my knowledge, of course. And I think when you look at every other culture or almost every other culture, there are certain identifiers in that neighborhood, like the tiling or the roof or the colors that are used on these buildings. And Things that are all coming from traditions, values, and norms of a culture before coming to America. And a lot of our culture was erased and kind of taken through slavery. But I think that kids should be able to see themselves in these tall buildings. When I was driving around Philly and L.A., that's one thing that I did not see. I think that spaces need to be a bit more embracing towards Black Americans figure out ways of including the community members in decisions that are happening, whether that's through development or anything that's going to impact their community. It's a long answer, but those are kind of the first few things that come to mind. You really bring up an excellent point there. It's so important that people be able to see others like themselves But then what you just touched on was it's also important that people see themselves in the actual buildings, in the actual structures, which I think is really powerful too. That's kind of the first time I've heard it laid out that way. So I just don't think a lot of people are really thinking that way yet, but we certainly should be. Again, as as I think was referenced in that LA Times article, I wasn't even aware of that until that moment with my girlfriend where, and she's from Guanajuato, Mexico, and we're on the freeway and she's looking at these buildings off the side of the road. 
And she got so excited. You know, we weren't even talking. She just out of nowhere, oh my God, look, it's just like home. And, you know, she's pointing and there's these colorful buildings. The roofs are really specific. I didn't think that there was anything really special, but of course, we're from out here. I kind of am just used to it. But the way that she talked about how it reminded her of home gave her so much pride. And when I think of what reminds me of home in the sense of a Black neighborhood, like when I know that I'm in an area that's Black, the environmental factors or or the factors in the built environment are like, oh, there's now there's bars on all the windows and the doors. Now there's the houses are much older and there's a lot more vacant buildings. There's more trash here. Those are sort of what you see in that built environment. I guess along that same vein, as part of your thesis, you actually developed a catalog of words that you felt were associated with Blackness, and you paired them with images that reflected the spirit of their meaning. Can you provide some examples of how you did this? You know, I was trying to figure out how to make a building Black in this way that I had to turn away from all architecture and my thesis advisor really helped me on this. His name is Ryan Tyler Martinez. He helped me create my own syllabus for that whole year with just Black things. So a part of it was a lot of reading, a lot of like film, a lot of music videos. It was just a lot of culture in different ways. So I would take words from Black artists or from Black writers or speakers going back from... Huey Newton up until present day, like Kendrick Lamar or something, and Zora Neale Hurston, I'm sorry, I don't want to forget her, Mabel Wilson, just all these people saying these things about Black culture. And I, some things are this coded language that everyone won't understand. And I was really interested in that. And so kind of back and forth with the words, you have words like avant-garde, you have words like woke or lit, and then taking a piece of art or architecture or literature. Like I had a building from Phil Freelon, um, like a museum. I had some buildings from some African architects or Northern Africa called House of Architecture. And yeah, I would just start to kind of find what I thought about those things were accurately portraying the spirit of that word. That thing grows now, that list, you know, started with nine, like a taxonomy of nine. And now it's at like 30. And hopefully students will add to that and other people who are interested in this will continue to add to that and we can all kind of share to grow this language. Yeah, that's interesting because my next question was actually going to be like how much of the catalog was sourced from public input. And it sounds like that's more kind of the next phase of it, like as it's growing, kind of incorporating feedback from others. Do you think that some of the images might read differently to different people? Yeah, and I think that's why like, I made sure, and this is actually a suggestion from Dr. Craig Wilkins saying a Black aesthetic and not the Black aesthetic. So yeah, I think it's very much so up for interpretation on how these things are looking and what I see out of it. And that's okay, but typically on, on these projects, I'm collaborating with a lot of people to make it not just about my Black aesthetic, but this is just an option. So yeah, just a variant. Yeah, that's interesting because, of course, you're right. I mean, there's many different aesthetics that people might have or think are, you know, sort of like demonstrative of the Black community. But 
what do you think overall might drive consensus to some extent in the architectural vernacular? Or do you think there will be many, many different architectural languages that ultimately come to be described as Black architectural aesthetic? Do you think there's a possibility for consensus or do you think it's going to be pretty varied? I don't think there's a possibility for consensus. I think that the spectrum of Blackness doesn't allow for that. So I think how this building for Watts or how the design for Watts was proposed in this first case study. Another neighborhood, you know, now we've been working on the case study number two in Philly simultaneously. And it's just so different looking because Philly's Black culture is different than LA's. Of course, we have some similarities. I think that maybe there are small details that you can see that maybe will be able to be repeated or something. But other than that, I think that they're going to look so different. I think that's what the most exciting thing about this is. I definitely think that also having these buildings that communities can really like be excited about and just like kind of rally around is like, yes, like this is like the kind of architecture that we want to see. I feel like that's so powerful in terms of also encouraging community engagement. And I want to kind of go back to, because you mentioned the project in Watts specifically. And so I guess talking about that project, our cloud house, which will of course provide links to in the episode description so people can check these out as well. But can you describe sort of what you created there and how the style is uniquely Black in its architectural aesthetic. I know you looked into like the geometric patterns of Black hairstyles, such as box braids, for instance. And I was just curious, like how exactly you went about integrating those different motifs into the design. I think that there were so many different experiences that shaped these concepts because it's so many concepts in here that I can't talk about all of them because I'm like, people are going to think I'm just post-rationalizing this and I'm just making it up. But I was really, there's so many things that I was trying to do and small things that I would just take. I could go see my mom and my niece and my sister, right, for three hours and I might have everything I need for a design. If my niece is getting her hair done, or if my mom is cooking, it's just these small interactions or everyday sort of life and shared Black experiences that you can draw from in weird ways, even conversation styles. I think that I was more interested in, or at least equally interested in perception in this house as Black aesthetic and as figuring out Black concepts to arrive at a design but this idea of perception or image, I should say, in terms of perception and in terms of picture and specifically how that relates to Black people living in Black neighborhoods, predominantly Black neighborhoods. So when you do a Google search and something like Watts, you see these images, right? And the bars on the windows and doors are going to stand out to you. And when you see kids standing in front of or behind these bars constantly or in certain areas where the building is shitty and it's three tones of paint, you know, what does that mean for people who come into the neighborhood for the first time? What are they going to think about the people? But more importantly, how do the people there feel about themselves? And how do we switch that using a Black aesthetic and turn this into like an empowering moment? Moments like on the porch 
where it's kind of taking into effect both ideas of image and of these black aesthetics and black ideas or whatever. So as you walk into that home, there's a graphic on the floor of the porch and there's a mirror on the ceiling of the porch. And so when you walk up and you look up, then this graphic is behind you. Very similar to like these Kaheen Wiley images, which is what really was driving this for me, where the Kaheen Wiley images, you know, they have black people standing in their normal street clothes. And the way that he has the background and the way he sort of shifts the perception due purely to the background that he puts them in, it just makes you see them so beautifully, you know? And so I was trying to drive that through the architecture and figure out how to make that a point of the home. So when you go into your home and when you come out of your home and you look up, then you will see yourself as some images. He had people where they looked like a king and the graphics that I represented, I wanted them to look royal. So yeah, you come home and you leave home and you look up and you should see yourself as royal as the people standing in front or coming by you will see, you know, will see them. So those are the sort of ideas that I'm really interested in exploring here and Watts and and going forward. But Watts was a bit of a point of departure, directly speaking to architecture as a profession that you guys forgot about us and atone for it, calling it out a little bit. I think after this, it'll get to be a little more free where I can just have fun. It's a heavy toll for this one, for sure. I love that concept describing where, you know, people kind of see themselves as a king of their home and to have people really feel proud of their home and like how they see themselves as well. That's really inspiring. It's also very interesting. I wanted to follow up on this as well. You kind of touched on it already, you know, kind of about the decision making of how you chose to work with the Watts community for your first project specifically. And then Are there other communities? You've mentioned one in Philadelphia, but I guess aside from those two, are there others that you're hoping to start working with in the future as well? I don't know if it's divine intervention or what that is, but I was just fortunate enough to meet the homeowner, Ms. Janine Watkins, and I was introduced to her from a professor at Woodbury during my final year. I knew my idea and what I was interested in and and told him, and he sent me to her. And within like two, three hours speaking at her house, she said, you can do this here, but my goal is for community symmetry. And so instantly when she said that, you know, we start talking further about ideas. It made sense that a Black aesthetic can only be aesthetics. Like Black architecture in 2021, if we're trying to propose a new thing, we have to speak to more than just purely design, especially in in Watts. So yeah, pretty quickly we partnered up. I really just got fortunate, you know, that I was able to meet her. In terms of future places that I'm hoping to work in, I have a few, you know, I, I definitely want to do where I grew up in Moreno Valley and I've been looking for land out there. That one I'm more so interested in trying to buy that land myself and figure out how to turn it into a resource for the community. I've been working on that for a few months, doing proposals and trying to work with the city. Outside of that, definitely interested in Compton. I'm definitely interested in the South. Really anywhere, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, where I have family roots in. 
But outside of that, I'm open. Ultimately, I want to do it in nine predominantly black neighborhoods across America. So somebody has something for me. Hopefully they hear this and can reach out to me. I'm sure they will. I mean, this is a fascinating area of architecture. So I'm sure you're going to have a lot of interest. It's exciting to hear too that, I mean, you have such a view of kind of working in so many different geographic areas. I think that's really important as well to sort of maximize impact and things like that. I think that's critical. So I'm definitely excited to stay tuned on that. Now, based on your website, it appears that a big part of what Off-Top Design aims to do is also increase public participation in the architectural process. And during these challenging times with COVID-19, especially given the outsized negative impacts to Black and Brown neighborhoods, how is your company overcoming these difficulties and still finding ways to enable people to participate? So early on, like a lot of people, when COVID first began, I did not know how to handle that and how to really shift because we had just had our first small community meeting at that point. Now it finally has opened up. But in the meantime, we switched and went to like Zoom meetings. A lot of what I preferred was when I would just be at the site and it's directly next to Watts Towers. So there's constantly people there. But often it's two to four people. Sometimes it's teenagers or young adults or even older people who are just always around there, but they're around there every day. So I get to speak with them after they see me there constantly. Then they ask what's going on, what I'm doing, what we're doing, and I get to show them because I keep this little laptop with me and I'm just ready to present if they dare ask me a question. And it's been nice because then I get to have these real small or intimate conversations with them and get their ideas and get their views on what they would need in terms of resources that we're offering. And now, you know, we've luckily been able to open community meetings publicly and we just social distance and keep it outside and and masked up. So it's been tough, but it looks like we're on the tail end. Do you see any silver linings with respect to the way we will communicate and engage with communities in the future? So do you think there's any carryover effects that actually could be positive for community engagement? You know, a lot of people don't want to, especially if they're working hard in middle class to lower income communities, they're working more hours typically and they have a lot more to deal with if it's kids, if it's whatever. So now Zoom being so accepted I think that that's a great thing because people who have a lot going on or are just tired at the end of the day can still be there. Before, it was kind of weird to think of going on a webcam for a call, but now it's accepted. So I think that may be a good thing. And I think a lot of people will also want to come in person now because they haven't been able to come in person for a while. So I think, you know, we had people at the community meeting last week meditate on tree stumps. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, we, uh, maybe people are just excited wow. to be touching grass again. Yeah. What techniques or like specific tools or events are you using to engage the public and sort of like encourage that collaboration? So I do it a few different ways. Of course, you go through social media to start, but I think what I enjoy is like I still hand out flyers. And it's doing it common and it's a lot of time because it's typically me handing it out by myself. And then I also, we have these big sort of posters that go on these bricks. And um, I'm going to grab one so you can see it. I know that people won't be able to see it. 
but basically we put QR codes on these full size posters and we just go and drop them off in neighborhoods when we have a new meeting. And so it seems like it's just, I mean, it is artwork, but if they scan the code, then they see the new meeting. And every time we have a new one, I drop a new image and I just go and replace it. But I put these directly, like I'll put them in walking paths or put it at the liquor store or near churches, near parks, or just the middle of a street and make them interact with this thing. And so, and then it's also, even if they don't scan it, they're going to see these images and they're going to come to mind. And when you do finally start to see it, you know, it's familiar to you. And it's also just a way of having children be able to age with art in a, in a bit of a different way. I love that idea that it's like people are sort of forced to see it or interact with it. It's like in their normal path. I think that's a really smart strategy. What issues or challenges did you face when attempting to engage with the Watts community? Was there any resistance to what you were trying to do? Uh, when I first start to speak with people, if they don't know you, then they're going to be kind of weary of you. But then if you, I think that pretty quick, once you explain what you're trying to do, they're going to read you if you're authentic. I haven't had many issues, especially, you know, there's sometimes when I'm presenting and they're like, ah, ah, you know, but that's early on. They make it to halfway through. I got it. It's going to be okay. And luckily that's through every time so far. So the biggest issue is just getting as many people involved as I would like, even doing the style of, you know, how I'm doing it now. I think that I still need to figure out how to speak to a larger audience purely in watts i get people from canada and europe who will hit me up about things and i need this specifically to to hit watts yeah no that makes a lot of sense and it's good that you haven't been met with too much resistance so far i think that's that's also really telling of, of how thoughtful it is you know what you're undertaking there now pivoting a little bit here but kind of you know in the same general direction, your work is very much the architecture of the future here on earth. But have you given much thought to how a black architectural vernacular could be encouraged in space architecture as well? I haven't. When you emailed me, that was the first thought to, oh, that'd be interesting. So I feel like I should start and maybe I could start testing some things down here. It's interesting because the architecture community is already very white and the space architecture community, perhaps even more so. And so to me, when I found out about your company and your work, it really struck me that this is a no brainer that we should be doing this on earth, but also like, why are we not thinking about this more as we think about future space architecture as well? And of course, there's the more near term space architecture, which is based more on just like really realistic concepts and survival but then in that, so even in like the most basic structural forms, I'm sure that there is still a pretty strong degree of it being rooted in like predominantly white Western architectural heritage. So it's sort of like, how do we change this before we start doing exactly the same thing in space? That sounds tough. No, I mean, it's tough where I stand. I couldn't even imagine that battle. But I do think right now, and really as of last year to most of America, people are looking at everything in terms of, does everyone have equity in this? Of course, a lot of people have not been successful in that. 
But there have been some people who've made like great strides. So now that you're saying this, I would be interested. Maybe we got to start doing some proposals. It's interesting because there's a lot of, and you know, I'm not sure how much this has come into play in some of like your current architectural designs. Where my head goes is like Afrofuturism and kind of like these theoretical, even like world building exercises. And so there's kind of, from my perspective, space architecture is sort of important for two reasons, right? So there's like the entry point that like kind of the survival, what we need, the more realistic concepts. And it's of course important that we have representation in how those are designed. But then there's also this like more futuristic, perhaps less realistic, but still very important in terms of like that futuristic architecture and sort of how do we make sure that we have a Black perspective or as you pointed out earlier, multiple different Black perspectives as we're designing that because it's sort of like you've addressed the fact that in the past, we've erased from our history Black culture. And in the present, of course, things are not equitable as we you know, stand today, obviously. But then also in the future, it's very important that people also have equitable participation as well. So that's the part to me that I find really interesting. And I would love to see, you know, sort of the space architecture community adapt to that. I'm curious if there was one thing that you wish that space architects sitting out there, maybe listening to this podcast, what would you hope that they would sort of give consideration to in their work? I think that like architecture, a lot of Black kids don't know about space. I didn't have no friends saying they wouldn't be an astronaut. Just like I didn't have friends who said they wanted to be architect. So I think that putting programs around things like space and putting them in predominantly black and brown communities are really important. The same that it is for architecture and introducing kids to real possibilities of what they can dream to be of. I think they need to see the options. I think that's such a good point because it was, that's something that's come up a lot actually in like some of the things I'm looking with Celestial Citizen as well is that there's a lot of people that try to make the claim that, well, the people that are interested in space are already there. They're already a part of the conversation. And I just, I challenge people on that. Like every time I hear it, because I don't know how you could possibly say that or make that assumption when quite honestly, it might not be a lack of interest. It could be a lack of exposure. It could also be the fact that people have so many challenges and issues they're facing in their day-to-day lives that like they don't even have the opportunity to be thinking about space. And so I guess along those same lines, do you feel like one's ability to be contemplating what the future looks like is actually steeped in privilege to begin with? Yeah, I do. I think that it's kind of a privilege to dream freely. You know, I feel like I've always was limiting myself in terms of what I could do because I'm looking for paths. But if I can't see a path to where I want to go, then it doesn't seem realistic. I can look at somebody who is a different culture than me and I'm going to say, or not me personally, but a lot of people, especially a kid, can say, They didn't have to go the route I have to go. So, yeah, it is a bit of a privilege. I mean, you're always told, you know, you can't be average. But why? Why can't a Black person be average, you know, and and still do good in life? It's like you have to do these amazing things to have a shot at 
living an above average life. I think it is a bit steeped in privilege. Not everybody is fortunate enough to be able to really dream that free and and to think that what they dream is a real possibility outside of sports and music and things like that. It doesn't surprise me to hear you say that, but it's devastating nonetheless. Because I even think about like last summer, one of the things that really just struck me was that so there were a lot of people in the space industry, a lot of white people that were very excited about the Dragon capsule launch. And it was another two white men that were launched into space. And I remember that happening very much like at the exact same time as sort of all of the Black Lives Matter movement, the protests were happening that summer. And it was shocking to me to see like the two things happen at the same time. It was almost like never more clear to me, like how different the lived experience of being white and black in this country was. It's absolutely devastating to me to think that there are just so many people space has no relevance like in their life. And that to me is is very concerning because I, of course, acknowledge the fact that not everybody's interested in space. Like even if they had exposure, even for whatever reason, like that might not be for them and that's fine. But what scares me is a future in which people are excluded from being a stakeholder in space. And I think like that's the big thing to me is that like, how do we figure that out? Because it's pretty clear that this is a massive problem and a big oversight. And so it's like, how do we do a better job of that? I don't really have a good solution at this time. But, you know, of course, talking to somebody like yourself, who's really starting to think about this on like such a creative level, right? Like how people see themselves in architectural styles. I mean, that to me is like definitely more of the conversations that we should be having and more so in the space industry as well. So I definitely really appreciate the work you're doing. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of having stakeholders. And it's tough when you realize that it's in so many different professions. I'm in architecture, so I just kind of think, you know, this is just one of the ones that's tough. And then you go to another where you're like, oh my goodness, is this one of the better ones? And it's 2% Black in terms of licensed architects. But um, I think within this next five to 10 years, there has to be a real shift in terms of getting a real diverse table of stakeholders. My wish is that a lot of people in the space architecture field listen to this and they realize, wow, you know, this is something that we haven't been looking at, but, you know, we need to have a lot more conversations with people like yourself and others who kind of like focus on specifically like how to bring in cultures that are either underrepresented or completely absent from sort of the architectural language. And and so hopefully that will start to bring about change. But I think you're absolutely right. It's like, it's just a question of people getting to the table and like who is actually getting to be a decision maker, right? Because at the end of the day, like it's the power dynamics, I think, also at play that need to really be balanced out for there to be real change. I completely agree. I think if somebody has to be convinced of letting other people in, you know, we're still not in a good place. And I guess to sort of turn things, you know, to a more, I guess, optimistic note, if you will, but what gives you hope about the future, whether it be here on earth or in space, what do you see that really gives you optimism for the future? A group of urban planners, they've, and now there's architects and designers as well, I believe, 
they are trying to figure out how to combat historic redlining. And it's this big collective of pretty young Black professionals who are doing this. To see things like that, when I was looking at this stuff during my thesis, I could not find Black architecture. I could not, you know, that's why it was so tough to come up with concepts. But right now, I see it so much. I see so many different people doing so many different things that are all for the better of Black and brown people. So that is inspiring. And I think personally, to finish what I was saying at the beginning of the statement, when you have focused energy on something, I think the universe begins to kind of help in making that happen as you continue working for it and as your energy ends up being infectious to other people all starting to sort of attract the same thing. And I think now the conversation that we're having now, something comes of it. It's these little drops into the pot that all, they all mean something. And sometimes you don't know what that's going to turn into, but it always turns into (laughs) the right thing, I guess. I don't know, but really just attracting something and seeing it come to fruition and seeing it grow and seeing it go even further than what you initially wished is also just really inspiring for me personally. Yeah, no, I love that. I love the analogy of sort of like little drops in the pod. We're not really sure exactly what it's gonna gonna look like in the end, but you know, hopefully it's just little things we're doing along the way that can lead to a big impact. And so what would you say to young people that feel they need to hide their blackness in order to be successful in majority white fields like architecture or space architecture? I would say I understand feeling that need. As somebody who had who felt that same thing for a while, but I think that we need to rethink that. If you're doing something to make somebody else comfortable, like if I had a do-rag on to class or to a presentation, that shouldn't be a problem with anybody because I might have a rough hair day. You know, sometimes with hair like this, you wake up and it's sticking straight up and you can't do nothing <laughs> about it. And so if I put a do-rag on, I don't want to be perceived as a thug or perceived as anything. And even the way I speak and switching my dialect to make somebody else comfortable when there's no issue with me speaking how I speak with friends or my mom or something. So don't think about you needing to correct yourself. Worry about them needing to correct themselves. And you, (laughs) you, as long as you're comfortable, some relationships ain't meant to work. So that's all right. I would say be as Black as you want to be. Ain't no bad thing about being Black. Back on the topic of space, would you be interested to live and work on the moon or Mars someday if you had the chance? Or would you be more interested in just staying on this planet? It depends on the food options. After the food options and if my dog can come. If my dog can come, we're good. Um, I'm out. Um, I would, and it depends on the length of time. How long does it take to get to the moon? So the moon is a pretty quick trip, actually. That's just like a few days. 
Mars is the long one. That's like, it depends on exactly what time you you launch. That's, I think at a minimum, it's like three and a half months and oh. on the longer end, it's like six months. So oh, okay. Yeah. So moon, yeah, I can be moon, all right with okay. the moon. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm, Mars is a different I'll need some time for Mars. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And so I want to now for this last bit here, I want to do just like a lightning round of quick questions. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Moon or Mars? Well, we already sort of answered that, so I think I know. Yes, it's moon there. (laughs) Okay. Would you rather design an orbiting space station or a community center on the surface of the moon? Community center. All right. What is the last book that you read? This is the book that I read basically every day. It's called Magic, White, and Black. What's it about? I cannot tell you. It is so. It is. It's kind of about everything. It's actually right here on my desk. I got it from a friend a long time ago, and sometimes you just read two paragraphs, and it, it's really speaking about kind of a way of living and thoughtful. I don't know. It's about a bunch. It's kind of complex, but a lot of the law of attractions and these different universal laws and. That is the book that I read often. It's just I can only take a paragraph at a time before my brain stops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Very cool. Um, Are you a sci-fi fan? Yes. Oh, what's your favorite sci-fi movie? It's actually a weird sci-fi movie, but it's Sorry to Bother You. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, you'll love it. It came out last year or two years ago. It's a Boots Riley film uh, with Lakeith Stanfield. You'll like it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll check that out. Okay, Star Wars or Star Trek? I am going to say Star Wars, but I haven't seen the full. I feel like I'm too late to start going in. I can watch all of Star Wars movies, but I'm going to need a week. Star Trek, I can't do it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a commitment. Baby Yoda or Old Yoda? I like Old Yoda. Do you watch The Expanse? No. No. Oh, you should check it out. Uh-oh. What's, it's really interesting. The Expanse, where's it, what's it on? Amazon Prime. So uh-huh. like Prime Video. So yeah, you can watch it there. Now. Okay, cool. I got Prime. Then I'm going to check it out then. Tell me, it's, you got to check out, sorry to bother you. I'll check out The Expanse. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. And then we'll compare notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Place you would most like to travel to after the COVID-19 pandemic is over. I've never been out of the United States still. So... I would go anywhere. Most likely Africa, but but we'll yeah. see where. Yeah. I mean, honestly, after this whole quarantine period, I feel like anywhere would be great, right? Like it's just we're all desperate. I'd probably take Tijuana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what would you name the first city on the moon if you could? I think it would work better if I named a city on Mars because it's Damar. So it's oh, Demars. I, like I don't it. know, something like that. <laughs> Demars. Oh man. I didn't even see that coming. Wow, that was a good one. I like it. Last one. Finish this sentence. In 50 years, we'll all be what? Old. Super old. And maybe hopefully we'll all be levitating. And we don't have to walk anymore. I hope we hopefully we tap back into some ancient stuff and we're done with walking. You know, I mean, you could always retire on the moon and bounce around in low gravity and be pretty nice on the joints. So. I would definitely take that in my old age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think that that's all the time that we have for today. So thank you, Jamar, for joining Celestial Citizen Podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. You know, I think it's going to be really thought-provoking for our listeners and especially, you know, trying to figure out ways to sort of like integrate that Black architectural aesthetic and space architecture as well, and just like Black experiences in the space industry. So thanks again for a really interesting discussion. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great to speak with you. And before I roll the closing credits and wrap up, I also want to give a special shout out to two members of the Celestial Citizen community that shared their vision this past week on social media for what excites them most about our collective future in space. Scott C. wrote, building a settlement on Mars that is built with kids in mind, because then it's not just a base, it's a city. And Lisa H. hopes for a future in which gender and race inequities perpetuated on Earth are not played out in space. So thanks so much to both of you for sharing your visions for the future. Three, two, one. We have liftoff. Let me take you on a little trip. My supersonic ship at your disposal if you feel so inclined. All right. Don't travel faster than light. That little Elon Musk will be left in the dust. So all right. And to all you listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Celestial Citizen Podcast. This episode would not be possible without the terrific work of this show's editor, Victor Figueroa. Thank you, Victor. Also, a very special thank you to Graham Clark, who created the amazing intro and outro music for this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Celestial Citizen, and I hope you are, then check out celestialcitizen.com. You can also follow along on Twitter at Celestial Citizen and Instagram at The Celestial Citizen. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter on Substack, which you can find the link to on our website. If you're interested in supporting the mission of Celestial Citizen, consider making a donation on our website, or you can always reach out to learn more about opportunities to sponsor this podcast. A major component of Celestial Citizen is feedback and public participation. We want to hear what you have to say, so let us know what you think about humanity's future in space and what it should look like. Please share your voice and your unique perspective on social media, or if you prefer, all of the Celestial Citizen articles can also be found on Medium, so drop a comment and join the conversation. If you love today's podcast, please have your friends and family subscribe on whatever device or platform you listen to podcasts on and leave a stellar review so others can get hooked as well. That's all for now, Celestial Citizens. I'll be back next week for another episode. In the meantime, don't be afraid to take up space. Space.